Well, years ago, after our family had left a fairly wealthy neighborhood in our city, we were driving out of this neighborhood. Our kids asked us in the car, Mom, Dad, are we rich? That's an interesting question, right? It's a super like deep, meaningful question, right? That you're, you're, just, you're just like, man, what a, what a great question. <laughs> are we rich? And um, I responded and said, your mom and I are, you're not, but your mom and I are. It's what Shaq told his son, Shaquille O'Neal told his son some years back. Shaq's son asked him or, or said, dad, I, you know, we're rich. And Shaq was like, you're not rich. I'm rich, but, but, but you're not rich. Well, when I, I said that we're rich, my, my kids are kind of like, you know, they're looking at our cars and our house and all that kind of stuff. And they're comparing them to other people. And they're like, <laughs> we're not rich. What are you talking about? And I'm like, well, and I reminded them once again that because we live in America, we eat meat three meals a day, we have a couple of cars, right? We are in the top 1% of the richest people to have ever lived on planet Earth, to which they roll their eyes, as does many people when I remind them of this fact, right? No, no one likes to hear that, 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 that we are very rich people, right? In light of everyone that exists on the face of our planet and has ever existed on the face of our planet. And so they're like, okay, 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 whatever, right? Are, are, we, are we richer than so-and-so? Because we can't be richer than them, but, but, but are we richer than these other people? Like guys, it, it does not matter at all. Like that is not important at all. You know, it's amazing how much the Bible has to say about money, about riches, about, about wealth. How, how many of you grew up going to church like you were in a youth ministry? Okay. Probably it looks like half of us. How, how many of you went to one of those lock-ins, those things from hell that some youth ministries do? Okay. Yeah. I loved them as a kid. I, I hated them as a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for, for about four years. I hated I hated lock-ins. Listen, we could lock the doors and do a lock-in right now and be here all day and all night long and we wouldn't even come close to touching all the content in the Bible. All that the Bible has to say about money, about wealth, about, about riches, we wouldn't even come close to touching all the content. Today, Jesus is going to challenge us to be rich. You're like, yes, not get rich but be rich. There's a difference. There's a very big difference and we're gonna see it this morning between getting rich and being rich. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 12 and now's a great time to open up our app. It's called the City Church Lubbock. You can download it in your app store and select message notes. All the verses and the points and everything will be there this morning. As you're turning to Luke 12, as you're opening our app, I just want to remind us of who we are as a church, what we're trying to accomplish here, at least with our, our, our services, right? Because we don't want to just go through the motions here. That's not what we're about. Like we're not playing church here. We're not checking off boxes. We're not trying to go through the motions. And so I just want to kind of remind us of what our services are like as you're turning to Luke 12 and, and, and what we're trying to do here. Like we are about making disciples that make disciples. Making disciples that, that, that make disciples. And so to, to do that, we're going to preach the gospel. That is that we are saved by grace alone, God's grace alone through our faith alone in Christ alone. That, that's the, the gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners in our place, 
paying our fine for sin, three days later rose from the grave, conquering your sin, conquering the grave, and so that by faith in Jesus Christ, your sin could be forgiven, you could receive the righteousness of God and be made right with God and know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. That's the, that's the gospel. We preach the gospel here every single week. We, we preach the word. We go through, most of the time, we're preaching through a book of the Bible, like right now, we're in the Gospel of Luke, and we preach verse by verse. And we do that because we just believe that preaching the, the word verse by verse, exegetically, that's the big word for it, it just develops a deeper commitment to the things of God, a deeper uh, a passion for the Lord, a deeper trust in God, a deeper commitment to the, to the mission of God, a deeper faith, a deeper trust. Like as you know the full counsel of God's word, you're going to be equipped, the Bible says, for life and godliness. All that we need is found in, in the word. We, we, we preach the gospel, we preach the word, we, we worship. And if you've been here very long and like you're seeing this morning, we do some old songs and we do some new songs. We've got an appreciation for, for old songs that have stood the test of time, that, that churches have sung, that Christians, saints have sung all throughout church history and have remained powerful and, and, and life-changing. And so we, we sing songs here, both old and new, that make much of God and that preach the gospel as we sing them, we preach the gospel, we preach the word, we worship, we pray, not just as a transition, but as to cry out to the living God, saying we, 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 we need you, God. We need your spirit to come and move in our hearts. We, we pray. And at the end of our services, we normally have a prophetic word from one of our pastors, Barry, who's gifted in that, in that way. So we preach the gospel, we preach the word, we worship together, we pray together. We have a prophetic word usually given in our services. And I, I like to give this picture and it's kind of sank in and stuck with a lot of people. And so I just want to remind you that we are not microwaving hot dogs this morning. That's not what we do in our services. As Brandon, Pastor Brandon says, I, I love this. He says, we're smoking brisket around here, low and slow, all right? And so I, I, I love, I love that, I love that picture. In Nehemiah chapter eight, Ezra opens the book of the law and it, all of Israel stands in honor of the word of the Lord. And as Ezra reads from the book of the law for about six hours, all of Israel, is worshiping, not, there's, no, there's no music, the word's being read. And they're worshiping and they're falling on their knees and they're weeping and they're confessing sin as the word of God is read for six hours. Men, women, and children worship as they hear the word of the Lord. Now, we're not gonna be here for six hours, okay? Now, some of you are like, yeah, right. It feels like six hours, okay? But I promise you, it's not six hours. We're shooting for about 40 minutes, 50 minutes if you're lucky, okay? Our services are about 80 minutes, usually about an hour and 20 minutes. So that's about how long we're here because we're smoking a brisket. And right now we're in the middle, smack dab in the middle of the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 12. We're, we're studying the gospel of Luke, uh, not, not just in here, but in our city groups. They're gonna study these same verses this week in our Daily devotionals, which will be on our app this week under the Bible study tab. We're going to break down these same exact verses. And through our table talk for families, because your kids right now are learning these exact same verses, both in kids and in our youth ministry. The table talk, which is under the Bible study tab on our app, is a resource for families to get around a table and discuss what God is teaching you through his word 
this morning and all this next week. So we're challenging you to study the gospel of Luke with us together as a family. And in our hope, our prayer as we study the gospel of Luke is that your soul will be drawn up, your attention, your, your worship will be drawn up to Jesus. So much in our culture is trying to pull you to the left or to the right. And our prayer with the gospel of Luke is that you'll be drawn up to Jesus. Conservatives have their Jesus. Progressives have their Jesus. My, my Jesus is, is exclusive and transforming. No, no, no. My Jesus is inclusive and affirming. And, and, and neither side, ne neither perspective has a full like grasp of Jesus. They have an incomplete version of Jesus as social media and his memes tend to do. They, they just don't give us the full counsel of the word of God. They don't give us the complete picture of Jesus. And so in our study, of the gospel of Luke, we're getting to know the real Jesus. And here's what Paul said about getting to know Jesus. It's better than anything else. Everything else just pales in comparison to knowing Jesus. There's nothing better, Paul said. And so, man, that's my prayer, is that as we study the gospel, your heart is just stirred with a new love for Jesus. Maybe that you've never had before. Maybe that love for is just reignited all over again as we just look, as we turn our gaze to Jesus in the study of the gospel of Luke. Here's where we're at. Let me, let me give you a recap. If, you're, if you've got our notes open uh, on the message notes in our app, you'll see there's a graphic there that says the gospel of Luke. That's from the Bible project. It just kind of gives you a roadmap of where we've been, where we are and where we're headed. So, so let me just kind of give you a recap real quick. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. He's making his way to that day when he'll die on the cross. And, and on his way to Jerusalem, we see him send out the disciples to preach in Luke chapter 10. We, we've heard about the good Samaritan and, 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 and who a neighbor really is and who our neighbor is and what it looks like to be a neighbor. We've seen him preach on prayer. We've seen him talk about and display his power over Satan and demons. We've seen him continue to criticize those religious people, the, the, the Pharisees, and, and criticize their hypocrisy and warn them of the sorrow awaits them because they do not love God. They do not love people from their hearts. And so now we're in Luke chapter 12. We're going to be in verse 13. Would you stand in honor of the word of the Lord? In Psalm 138, the psalmist says this, God, you have exalted above all else, your name and your word. God is exalted above everything else, his name and his word. Jesus said, you, my words will never pass away. You will always have my word. So, so as we read from God's word today, it is the word of the Lord. Because Jesus promised us we would have it. And he's God in the flesh. And his promises are always true. And he always comes through on his promises. So we have the word of God this morning. And so as we read it, just like the people did in, Ez in, in Nehemiah, in Ezra's day, we, we stand in honor of it and we trust it and we believe it and we devour it and we're transformed by it. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Read along with me. It says this, then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, friend, who, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And, and then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? 
I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll be able to say to myself, my friend, you have enough now. You, you've stored away for, for years to come. Now, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who's gonna get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or, or enough clothes to wear, for, for life is not more than food and, and your body is more than clothing. Look, look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns or God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, then what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that, that are here today and then thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't, don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the persons of heaven will never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. You can be seated. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a question this morning, every single one of us. Do you wanna get rich or be rich? Do you wanna get rich or be rich? And some of you are like, I'll take both please, right? I don't know about you, I'm kinda, I'd like both, right? I'd like, to, I'd like to get rich and I wanna be rich, right? Aren't those the same thing? No, they're very different. They're very, very different. And to those of us, like all of us, probably, they're like, man, I want both. Here's what Jesus is saying this morning. That's, that's really hard. It's really hard. In fact, it's almost impossible. It's, it's nearly impossible. Daryl Bach, theologian and author of a commentary on the Gospel of Luke, said this, getting rich constitutes one of the greatest obstacles to being rich. I'm gonna say that again. Daryl Bach in his commentary on Luke chapter nine. Getting rich constitutes one of the greatest obstacles to being rich. And then he goes on to say this, that the seeker of wealth, here's what Jesus is saying here. Bach says the seeker of wealth ends up with an empty soul and an empty life. It's nearly impossible. to seek to be rich and to get rich. 
It's nearly impossible. Man, what a word to a bunch of rich people like us. And I say like us because it's probably almost every single one of us in this room. We're, we're some of the richest people, top 1% of the richest people who've ever lived on planet Earth. You want to get rich or be rich? See, here's what you got to understand about getting rich and, and being rich. N number one, getting rich is deceitful. Getting rich is very deceitful, like, like it's a pursuit, it's a promise that can never come through on what it offers. It, it, it's a mirage. Getting rich is deceitful. When Jesus says here, like, once upon a time, like, I'm going to tell you a little story, right? Once upon a time, like, you just got to prepare yourself because your, your heart's about to be exposed and your mail's about to get red. Getting rich is deceitful. Here, here, here's why. Because... First of all, you start to think it belongs to you. you. You start to think that your wealth, that your riches, that your abundance belongs to you. Notice in the story that Jesus tells about this man with the, with the, with the barns, the crop and the barns. Five times in verses 17 through 19, Jesus says of this man, he, he's thinking of what I will do as if he owns it all. Then he speaks about my fruit, my barns, my goods, myself. It's mine. I own it. Getting rich is deceitful. Because the Bible says everything you have is not yours. It's God's. It belongs to him. You're his steward. You're not an owner. You're a steward. You're, you're a money manager for God, but, it, but it's his. You're just a steward. Getting rich is so deceitful because you start thinking it's actually yours. Getting rich is deceitful because you, you think that the, the riches or the stuff or whatever that you've got or the whatever that you're pursuing, it's actually going to last. And it's not going to. I can prove it to you. Some of you probably got some, some new shoes for Christmas, right? A couple of weeks later, you're like, man, I really like... You know, these shoes are great, but I really like those shoes, you know? These shoes really aren't cutting it for me anymore. Like, you were so proud of those shoes you got on Christmas. Like, you're putting them on, you're trying them on in the mirror. Maybe it was some pants. Like, you got some pants, and you're, you're trying them on. Man, I look so good in these pants. A couple days later, you're like, is this a different mirror? I don't look as good as I thought I did, like, in these, in these pants or, or in that hoodie or in that hat or whatever it is. Like, I don't know about you, but you could get your kids some white tennis shoes, which is a huge mistake, by the way, right? You get your kids some white tennis shoes, they're looking pretty good. Now, depending on how old they are, and I've got this theory that, that says however old they are, like it's directly related to how dirty those shoes are going to be like in a couple of days or a week from now. Like the younger they are, the dirtier those shoes are gonna be like the very next day. And so you get your kids some white shoes and how long does it take before those things are like ruined, right? Like day, right? We're talking days, not, not, not weeks. You get that car, man, I'm so, I love this car so much. It's so clean and whatever, and your kids get in it, and what, a few days? That car's not so clean anymore, right? Or you start looking at you, man, ah, this car's great, but maybe I should have gotten this other, because that, that car, the feeling doesn't last. The riches, getting rich is deceitful because... The feeling that you kind of get from it, and it just doesn't last. And, the, and, and those things don't last. They deteriorate. They, they don't last. Getting rich is deceitful. It's deceitful because we, we, we think that 
joy and meaning and purpose are going to be found like in our financial position. Do you hear the story that Jesus tells about this man? Like, I'm going to store up, and if I can store up so much, then I'll be okay. Then I can eat, drink, and be merry. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll be fulfilled. Then I'll have peace and joy. Like, like, This passage Jesus is telling us like joy and meaning and purpose will never be found in your bank account in multiple streams of income in your clothes and your houses and your cars in retirement or a position or in a trip that you might want to take. Like Darby and I's 20th anniversary is this summer and we're pumped and we're taking a trip. Like I can't wait for that trip. We've been planning that trip. I've been thinking about it for the last year. I can't wait for it. But you know what? (laughs) About day four, day five of that trip, you know what's going to happen? It's going to set in. If you've been on a vacation before, what what happens? Well, we got to go back home, right? Joy, meaning, purpose, like it's never going to be found in our financial position. Getting rich is Deceitful. I mean, think about how much time we spend, how anxious we are, how much we worry about everything Jesus talks about in the story of the barns. If I could, if I could just get a little bit more, like then I'll be okay. If I could, if I can earn this much, if I can get my savings up to this much, if I can have this kind of cash flow each and every, like if I could just get there, then we'll be okay. Then I can eat, drink, and be married. Like then I will be okay. How much of our time, of our brain power, right, of our day is devoted to the same fruitless story that Jesus tells about this man with his crops and his barns? Just think about it. Then, like if I could just get to the, like then I'll be okay. And here's what Jesus says to that man and here's what he says to us rich people in the room, which is almost all of us. Jesus says, you fool. It's foolish. Fool is an Old Testament term. Describes someone who either acts without God or acts without wisdom in a self-destructive way. Jesus says this this pursuit, it's foolish. It's just, it's self-destroying. It's foolish. In this case, it's foolish because you've actually succeeded at the wrong thing. You've succeeded in the wrong kingdom. And Jesus says about this man, you're going to die tonight. You're not living a life that makes sense in light of eternity. It's foolish to not live a life that makes sense in light of eternity. This man had spent all this time considering how he was going to enjoy his material possessions both now and in the future, but he never considered the state of his soul. And Jesus says, you're foolish. Jesus says elsewhere, the more that we focus on gaining in this world, the more that we forfeit our soul. Like, are you listening? Like, do you hear that? The more that we focus on gaining in this world, the more we're actually forfeiting our soul. Jesus would say this about the deceitfulness and wealth and comfort, that it's actually a threat to your spirituality, that that, that the pursuit of riches, like getting rich, is actually a threat to your spiritual life. In Luke chapter 8, in the parable of the soils, Jesus would say this, it's really hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
Like pay attention, rich people. It's really hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying here, like, it's really hard to get rich and to know real life. Like it's actually almost impossible. Proverbs chapter one, verse 19 says this, such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. Those who are trying to get rich, such is the fate of all those who are greedy for money, trying to get rich. It robs them of what? Life. Like this pursuit of getting rich is actually robbing you of life. You're thinking, man, if I can just get to this place, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And like, that's going to be life. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Your, your pursuit of getting rich, like it's robbing you of life. That's why Jesus says, be on your guard. Be on your guard against this pursuit of getting rich. This, this call to be on your guard here is a constant vigilance against greed. Because wealth is so deceitful, because getting rich is so deceitful, Jesus says, be on your guard. You've got to be constantly vigilant to make sure you're not pursuing, like just getting rich in this life. Jesus is revealing to us here where life is going to be found, not in getting rich, but in being rich. You want to get rich or be rich? Jesus' life isn't found in getting rich. It's found in being rich. Why? Because number two, being rich is eternal. Getting rich is deceitful, but being rich has eternal value. Now, we're not talking about a balance in your banking account. We're not, we're not talking about a financial position here. We're talking about the condition of your heart. And that's what God is after this morning. He's after your heart. Jesus is trying to set you free here from the lie of consuming and achieving and positioning. He wants to set you free from a lie so that you would embrace the truth that depth and meaning in life is found in being rich towards God, some translations say. I love what the NIV says. Being rich in your relationship with God. So instead of consuming, we're going to be rich towards God. We're going to leverage and steward our money, our stuff, our time, our resources, everything for the kingdom of God. Because the truth is that the abundance that we've been given is not that we'll store up treasure for ourselves. But that we will leverage it for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God. So to see, getting rich is so deceitful. And we get the picture here because life is found in being rich that getting rich is actually boring. Like it's such a, a boring pursuit that pales in comparison to being rich towards God here. Paul said, I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether rich or poor, well-fed or hungry and thirsty. He said, I've learned the secret. I'm content. Even if I'm poor, even if I'm hungry and thirsty, I'm content. What's the secret, Paul? How could you be content? He said, I've got Jesus and he's all I need. Ephesians 1, I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. I am rich towards God. I am rich in God. I've got all I need in him. And so I'm content. I am rich, so I have to worry about getting rich. 
being rich in your relationship with God. It's being rich spiritually. It's, it's knowing Christ. Jesus said life is about knowing him. John 17, 3, eternal life is that we might know you, God, and your son, Jesus, whom you've sent. In John chapter 1, John says it like this, that the word became flesh, he made his dwelling among us, and in him is life. He would say later in John 10 that Christ has come to give you abundant life. In 1 John, John would say it like this, that by believing in the Son of God, you could have life in his name. Life. Life's not found in self-actualization or realization like our culture wants to preach to us. Life is not found in advancement and pleasure, getting rich, right? That's not where life is found. I love what Frederick Bruner, a theologian, said about John chapter one and getting rich. Watch what he said. Come into union with the word. That's Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Come into union with the word who made you and you will come to life. Like, like as you know Jesus and you're rich in your relationship with Jesus, you're gonna come to life. You came from him. All things were made by him. You came from him. Please come back to him. Come back to him. You were made for him. All things were made by him and for him. You were made for him. The result of this, I love how he puts this, the result of this reunion will be more than human existence. A lot of us just existing. It's gonna be more than human existence, Broner says. It will be human life. Human life is found in knowing Christ Jesus. I love what, Peter said when the message got pretty difficult from Jesus and all the crowds that had gathered for all the stuff, you know, for all the miracles and the food and the healings and all that kind of stuff. Like, this is pretty cool, right? Like, we're, we're, we're getting rich. We're getting all the stuff. Well, the message starts to get harder. Jesus says, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. The message starts to get tougher. The crowds start to thin out, right? Because that's not real appealing. That's not really encouraging. That's not really inspiring. And so the crowds start to thin out because nobody wants to hear that. Deny yourself, die, take up your cross and follow me. Nobody, nobody wants to hear that. And so the crowd starts thinning out. Jesus turns to the disciples and said, you gonna leave me too? And I love what Peter said. I bring it up all the time. I love what Peter said. <laughs> Peter goes... Jesus, we have nowhere else to go. You have the words of life. Where else is there? Where else is there? There's nowhere else to go, Jesus. You have the words of life. A lot of us are trying to go to a lot of other places to find life. And Jesus is telling us this morning, you're never going to find life in the pursuit of getting rich. You're going to only find life in being rich towards God. Proverbs 1 verse 19 again, such is the fate of all who are greedy for money that seek to get rich. It robs them of life. It's robbing us of life. And, and I, but, I, but I love the way Jesus concludes this whole teaching. Right, he, he doesn't say like, how could you? What were you thinking? Like, how could you be so stupid, right? I, I love the way he concludes this. He says, your father 
who cares about you and wants what's best for you. He says that you're, you're, it's been your father's good pleasure to give you, and you're like, what? What are you gonna give me? It's, it's the good pleasure. God, it's your good pleasure to give me what? What am I gonna get? And Jesus says it's the father's good pleasure because he loves you, because he cares for you, because he wants what's best for you. It's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. To give you the kingdom, to give you the rule of Christ in your life where you will find ultimate freedom and joy. You see, see, there, there's this upside down nature to the gospel and to the kingdom of God, like where, where surrender actually results in the greatest of freedom and joy. Like our culture wants to tell us, man, it's slavery to follow the Lord and, and the rules of God and the commands of God are like slavery that we need to set ourselves free from. And Jesus is like, no guys, listen, listen, stop believing the lie, like embrace the truth. It's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Like as you surrender yourself to the king and to the kingdom of God, you're going to experience freedom and joy and, and, and purpose and meaning in life. And it's the father's good pleasure to give you this. Like I, I love too the, the terms here that Jesus uses as he closes out this teaching. Terms like father and little flock. Like this is a, a shepherd who cares for his sheep. This isn't Jesus like judging you or condemning you. No, this is a, a shepherd who wants what's best for his sheep. And so he's a little flock, like, listen, hear me, listen, believe what I'm saying. Because I care for you and I love you and I want what's best for you. Like you need to hear the heart of God here and over and over and over again throughout the scriptures, the heart of a father who wants what's best for his kids. And, and here's what he knows is best for his kids. It's himself. And so that's why when our culture says, man, look at the, the law of God, it's so condemning and repressive and it's slavery. And God is like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like that's the lie that you've believed, but I'm a father who just wants what's best for his kids. I'm a shepherd who wants to protect my sheep, little flock. Kids. It's the father's good pleasure. Like he delights in this to give you the kingdom to give you himself, to give you his rule where you will experience true life. Jesus is calling us out of the chase of created things and into the chase of the creator himself who made you and who made you for himself. And so Jesus the author of life is saying, I spoke life into existence is saying like, this is how life works. If you want to know real life, you've got to be rich towards God, rich in your relationship with God. He's calling us out of the chase of created things and into the chase of the creator himself. C.S. Lewis, author and theologian, said it like this. When we put first things first, God multiplies second things. Like, seek my kingdom first, and I'm going to add everything else into you. Like, I'm going to take care of you. All the second things, if you will seek me first, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of you. So Lewis said it like this. When we put first things first, God multiplies second things. But when we put second things first, we not only lose out on the first things, we also lose the second things. We don't even enjoy them. Because they're not in their proper place. Anytime we elevate second things to, to first things. So, so 
I just want you to examine your heart this morning. Like examine your heart. Are the desires of your heart first things or second things? And, and like, don't give the churchy spiritual answer. Like really examine your heart. Like are the desires of my heart, the dreams of my heart, like what I'm thinking about and, and, and focusing on like day in and day out, are they first things or are they second things? When I was 18, I went to an all day conference called One Day. It was 24 hours of worship and prayer and preaching. And I graduated, I went with my youth ministry and our youth pastor to this conference called one day it started passion conferences puts this on it started in the early uh, or in the mid 90s and and it kind of grew from there and and actually last week uh, there was a, a a meeting in fort worth downtown and a meeting in atlanta and between those two different gatherings there was tens and tens of thousands of of college students meeting together for worship and prayer and and, and to hear the word but that that day one day 2000 i was 18 years old about 23 years ago. God ignited a fire and a passion in my heart to live for something bigger than myself. Like to, to give myself to the, to the kingdom of God, to the glory of God. Like to live for something bigger than me. And, and that's what... That's what Passion Conferences has always been about. Their, their verse that just kind of explains their vision says this, it comes from Isaiah 26, eight. It says this, your name and your renown. Renown is just a word that means fame that never ends. It's eternal fame. So your name and your renown are the desires of our heart. Your name, your fame, your glory. God. Like that's the desire of my heart. Is that the desire of your heart? Like living for the name and fame of Jesus? Is that the desire of your heart? Or, or have worshiping and serving the creator been exchanged for the lie of worshiping and serving created things? Our big idea this morning says this, when you make something primary that was designed to be secondary, you're always going to feel empty. When, when you make something primary that was designed to be secondary, when you take second things and you put them in the place of first things, like that you're always going to feel empty. Paul in Romans 1 said it like this, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie in that they worshiped and served created things, secondary things, in the place of first things. They worship and serve created things rather than the creator himself. That's taking second things and making them first things and that's always going to go wrong. You're always going to feel empty. C.S. Lewis wrote a series of books called The Chronicles of Narnia and one of those books is called The Silver Chair. It's about a young girl, Jill. She's entered the strange wood in the land of Narnia She's with her friend Eustace and due to poor judgment, she finds herself alone and separated from Eustace. She's very thirsty. She's walking in search of water. She finds this stream, but she stops dead in her tracks because she sees the lion. She sees Aslan. 
And Aslan speaks to Jill and he says this, are you not thirsty? Said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion, come and drink. May I, could I, would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. And the lion, and the lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she, she realized that she might as well have just asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you, will you promise not to, not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill? I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty that now without even noticing it, she'd actually come a step nearer to the stream. Do you eat girls, she said. I've swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. Well, I daren't come and drink then, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, oh dear, said Jill, coming another step near. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. There is no other stream. Is your soul dying of thirst this morning? Maybe, maybe in your consuming and your achieving and your positioning and your self-actualization or realization or advancement, pleasure, whatever it is that you've been pursuing, like maybe you've been neglecting the state of your soul. You, you've been trying to get rich and you've neglected being rich. There's only one stream that can ever satisfy you. Jesus said, I am living water. If you drink from me, you will never thirst again. I and I alone am living water. You drink from me, you're never going to thirst again. D David said this in Psalm chapter 16, God, you show me the path of life, the path of life. Whoa, whoa. wait a second. Wait a second. God, you've shown us the path of life, the, the path to life, like the path of life. Like, what is that path, God? David, you, you've shown me the path of life in your presence. Like, like not your presence, like E-N-T-S presence, like the box, right? But in your presence. E-N-C-E, -E, like in your presence, God. This is the path of life, David said. In your presence is the fullness of joy and eternal pleasure is at your right hand. That's the path of life. To joy and pleasure and life, it's in his presence, David said. David would say, as the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. Your soul isn't thirsting to get rich. Your soul is thirsty for life. Your soul is thirsty for being rich in God. There's this old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Remember the words? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. 
and the things of earth. Like as I turn my eyes to Jesus, I'm looking full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will go strangely what? Dim. And the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. <laughs> like, like there's something about a relationship with Jesus. That, that there's something in like my eyes being fixed on Jesus. There, there's something about knowing Jesus that causes everything else to pale in comparison. Like, like getting rich all of a sudden is boring and meaningless and fruitless in light of the glory and grace of Jesus. Like, like there's something about knowing Jesus where everything else just to grow, begins to grow strangely dim. It's like Paul said, there's nothing better. Everything else is a loss compared to the greatness of knowing Christ. And so are the things of earth becoming dimmer and dimmer and like less attractive to you? Or, or maybe they've been becoming like brighter and more appealing and more attractive. But regardless of where you're at, I, I love how the author of this hymn writes this song because in it is the answer. It's not the things of earth will go strangely dim as you do better and try harder. Like as you do step one and step two and step three, like in your relationship with God this year, all of a sudden the things of earth are gonna go strangely dim. So do better and try harder. No, no, the answer is actually found in this hymn that as we turn our eyes to Jesus, as we come and drink of Jesus, the things of earth just grow strangely dim. So, so the answer is not one, two, three, it's follow me. And as you know Jesus and as you pursue Jesus and as you fix your eyes on Jesus, the things of earth just grow strangely dim. So it's my prayer that you'll hear, hear the lion saying to you this morning, come, come and drink. There's no other stream. So come and drink of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Just heads bowed, eyes closed. I just want everyone in the room just kind of take stock of their own soul right now. Examine your heart. Maybe you've come into this place, you've been neglecting the state of your soul. I want you to zero right in on it. Like forget everything else that's going on, what you have to get to after this. Like, like examine the state of your soul and, and, and maybe just, just, just maybe for, for some of us, like we need to heed what Jesus was saying about today, your life is going to be demanded of you today. What if today was your day? Like what if today you were to die and to stand before God? Are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? See, I think a lot of us probably say, no, I'm not, I'm not that sure. And, and the reason some of us wouldn't be that sure is because we're looking at everything that we've ever done and maybe what I even did this past week. But the great news of the gospel is that you can be 100% sure, not, not, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. When he died on that cross and paid your fine for your sin in full, it, it, your, your debt to God, it's paid in full. And, but then three days later, he rose from the grave and he conquered your sin and he conquered death. And so this morning you can believe 
that Jesus died for you, that he rose again for you. You can believe in what Jesus has done for you, not what you could ever do for yourself. And the Bible says when you make that decision and you believe in Jesus' payment of your fine and that he rose from the grave, you give your life to Jesus, your sin's forgiven, you're made right with God and you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. You can be 100% sure. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. And so this morning, I invite some of you, you've never made that decision before, to give your life to Jesus today. Jump on our app, fill out our connect form. Let us know that you're committing your life to Christ, if that's you. And then for all of us, I just want you to consider something real quick in prayer. Would you, would you consider this? Would you consider that, that you could reach all of your personal and professional goals, become a raving success, attaining all your profession and position have to offer, but you could be completely missing out on life right now. All of those things could be robbing you of life. Would you consider that? Would you, would you consider just in this moment, like what, what really has your heart? Not, not the spiritual church answer, but the real answer. What, what would your friends, family members, coworkers and teammates and classmates say, like has your heart? Have the things of earth been growing strangely dim, like in the light of your relationship with Jesus or have they been getting brighter? more appealing and more attractive? Have you been leveraging all the stuff and resources you've got for the kingdom of God or has it been ending on you? Have you been using it for the spread of the gospel to make disciples, to care for the poor, to get the gospel to unreached people groups all over the world? God, I just, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now in this moment would turn our eyes to Jesus, would, would, would turn our hearts to Jesus. And that as we grow, just even in these moments, as we grow in riches in God, that, that getting rich would become less and less appealing to us. That, that secondary things would, begin, would, would just grow less and less appealing. They would grow dim in the light of the glory and the grace of Jesus. So God, power of the Holy Spirit, would you, would you turn our eyes to Jesus, turn our hearts to Jesus? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.